podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. G'day there, I'm Ezekiel. I'm the producer of Lakeside Drive Podcast, apparently. And today we are minus James Baldwin. So we're going to do a little bit of a question and answer with my good friend and yours, Tommy T. How are you, mate? G'day, mate. That's a very good James impression. You put on better than the real thing. I'm trying my best. I'm trying my best. And I think I'm succeeding. Uh, and uh, Thomas J. Camp. Tommy Camp, how are you? Hello, gentlemen. How are you? Excellent intro, Zeke. I'm very impressed, mate. That's good to see we've got your good mug on the camera for everyone on YouTube land. That's cool, too. Yeah, g- Just increasing your coolness by a thousand percent. Well, you know, what can I say? James isn't here and I'll take anything I can get. Uh, we're going to spend today answering questions from the general public. Uh, we do have this set up on Discord, so if you are interested in dropping us a question and having us answer it on the podcast, you can jump over there, drop your question in. It can be about F1, obviously, or it can also be about anything else, as we're about to find out. Gentlemen, we're going to jump in, uh, and I still haven't even picked the first question, so let's start off with a nice, easy one. Love that, love that. That I, uh, I, I flagged before. This is from Ross, and Ross says, what is the best flavor of ice cream? Hokey pokey, all day. All day, hokey pokey for the Kiwis out there, the best. That needs to be a cutout there, Z. <laughs> uh, right. Honestly, not what I thought you were going to say, mate. No, not, not at what all. I thought you were going to say. That's outstanding. I would have pegged you for a, I don't know, vanilla guy? Maybe a choc chip at max, I thought. But no, you're an interesting cat, aren't you, Campy? Hi, what do you do? Can't win them all. Bit of a weirdo. Genuinely uh, I think odd. for me, <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm going to say pistachio for me. Pistachio. Isn't it always a go-to? Particular, particular yeah. Uh, yeah. ice cream maker in mind? Messina. Messina's the goat. No idea. No idea. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> Who makes hokey pokey? Ezekiel, then? any We've thoughts, feelings? Gluten-free, dairy-free stuff in our freezer, so the vegans out there would appreciate <laughs> My ice cream purchasing. <laughs> Brought to you by... Uh, for me, ice cream, yeah. I'm, I'm a pretty big, uh, just a cookies and cream guy. Connoisseur, straight up and down. I only buy it when it's on special, though. So That's the trick. You've always got to only buy it on special. And if that's not on special, something else will be, like a Maxibon. Or, uh, absolutely. And then you go take your business elsewhere. Yeah, if you're paying retail for ice cream, either in a box or a tub, you're... You're, you're, you're too far off the beaten track for me. So. You're a chump. You're a big chump. All right, that's a nice easy one to get in there. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Let's see here. Uh, this one also comes from Ross. Well, that's very convenient because I just scrolled down a whole way and he's still there. Uh, from Ross, has replacing Michael Massey fixed <laughs> F1? Oh, big question. <sighs> Tommy J, you take it. I think, if anything, we've got more drama this year because... We've replaced that aspect of it, but now we've got the Netflixification of uh, journalists and the like trying to do those kind of things and ask for those kind of results in races. I think Massey got a a pretty unfair shake. He he did make some mistakes, but no more than any other kind of race director we've seen. Unfortunately, he was just in the public eye more than anyone else has ever been. The guy was put on radio... Uh, the communications he had between teams was put on radios, and and that's probably not fair for someone in that role. That's that's stuff that's usually behind doors and and dealt with in a certain way. But as soon as you expose that to the public without the context, he looks like a bit of an idiot, um, unfortunately, in those situations. So I think he was genuinely doing a good job, but 
the stuff up that happened at the end of the last year um, was probably too big, and anyone in that role would have got fired. So I don't know. I don't know if he was the reason that it's been fixed or not. But I don't think we've improved. I'd put it that way. I think we're right where we were. We I will say we've had we've had less incidents this year. So it come across to me a bit more consistent. We haven't had the the Max uh, Lewis debacle for what was the last 10 races where Max would put these moves on that were unfair and etc etc the debacle of the last race so I'm not sure him leaving's made it better it's probably worse off because he was the most experienced dude but I think he had to go so yeah we've had less we've had less like on track incidents this year that have been really controversial but we're more safety conscious this year as well and I think that's the most frustrating thing for me is whenever there's a crash it's red flag straight away you know we call it in practices too i mean back in the day they just used to leave cars on the side of the bloody pit straight it was excellent but uh we're not there anymore we have to change and evolve because unfortunately accidents happen and uh when accidents happen they highlight the need for fluke accidents so you do this enough and things happen but um yeah i don't i don't think it's been worse but yeah yeah, I'd like to have him back, I think, in hindsight. It'd be interesting to see if we could hear hear the radio this year like we did last year of the, the current race directors because it's shared by three people, I think, Campy, and a, a, a rotating gambit of drivers and the like kind yep. of running these race weekends. So it's, it's, it's almost done by committee now, which somehow seems to be worse, in my opinion, because at least you had consistency of one human being within themselves, now you're leaving it up to interpretation of many different people in many different locations, different languages, different countries that you're operating in. Like, it was nice to have the consistency of one human being, I would have said. But it'd be interesting if we could hear these people and the decisions they're making, the communication for teams as well, because I think that was half the, the battle with Massey was he was almost performing to the TV in some respects with his communication back to teams and vice versa. Yeah. They definitely threw him under the bus. I think they probably had to throw him under the bus. But, uh, yeah, look, it's not something we've talked about a lot this year either, though, right? You know? No. But I'd love to have a chat Which with him. Which is a good thing. I'd love to have a chat with him. He'd be having an NDA, a non-disclosure agreement, the size of the moon, I would suggest. And he's probably not allowed to talk about it publicly for the rest of his life. But it would be good to get his perspective, but... Unfortunately, the way the world works these days, we're just not going to. But uh, anyway, great question. Very great question. Thank you, Ross. Two hard hitters from Ross right off the top. Uh, so we'll see where he <laughs> takes us from here. Uh, next question we have yeah. coming from Upshift One, no T, just Upshift on uh, on Discord, and they want to know Upshift. Where do you see the Williams and Albon partnership going on the long term? Mm. He's got some. He's got some credit. He's got some stock in F1 at the moment. It's it's interesting that drivers can take years off when they're young and they get seats again. Uh, as I said, when he was at AlphaTauri, he deserved to get that spot when he replaced Gasly. Unfortunately, he's coming up against Max Verstappen, and 
Every trial that's come up against Max Verstappen, Alan DR, hasn't performed the way the team wanted to. For for them to sit out and then get back into F1 suggests that he must have some credits and people like him. I know he was the sim driver for a year with Red Bull as well, so he brings some IP across, which 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 is actually a big factor in drivers moving, uh, moving teams. Um, look, I think he'll be the lead driver for Williams for another couple of years. But um, if that car doesn't get any better and it's still a back marker and it's not in the points every weekend, I think that will do his career no justice. And I, I just think teams won't... He won't progress up the grid where he needs to be. But he's, he's, but he's a driver that's come from this younger generation, from the crops of, you know, the Gleur signs, um, Verstappen, George Russell, etc. So... He's come from that era, and if he's getting a drive in F1 from that era, they must have seen a lot of potential in that, you know, that three to four year period. So, yeah, not sure where it goes. He'll definitely be the lead drive for a couple of years, though. Yeah, I think Kevin's spot on. I think he'll see out these regulations. I would have thought until we get to those new engines, it makes sense. Um, he's done nothing wrong, you would say, since he's come back. He's done nothing but show no. that that car has some potential, and he's found it when he can. Um, He's a nice character from all, all accounts. Everyone really likes him yeah. around the paddock. So that, go, that goes for something, apparently, considering there are so many unlikable people who are cashed up and decent drivers. You'd rather have the nice ones who are good for culture and morale around, especially when he's still so young and got so much potential. Um, I think it probably it, it goes to his benefit, having sat out for however long he did and still remained positive and... <laughs> helpful in those situations it'd be quite easy to be jaded and and come back and dismissive so i think it's almost a test for those drivers that do get sat on the bench for a year when they're young how they respond you look at someone like nick devry and how he's handled it he's gone and won a formula e championship he's been a reserve driver for half the grid he's he's done really well and he's got his opportunity finally and hopefully that turns into a full-time seat but you could be very dismissive and like stuff this i'm gonna go do a different formula and never come back. Like, I'm done. I'm, I've given up on my Formula 1 dream. So I think he's he's the right kind of character and he's the kind of person that you want to give a chance to because I'd rather see someone like him in there than another pay driver from wherever. Sorry, was it actually DeVries that won the Formula E championship? I thought it was Stoffel Van Dorn. Stoffel won this year? The year before was DeVries. Ah, right. Cool. Got you. Yep. Cool. Got yep. you. All right. Nice. Yeah, because we were talking about I was listening to one back. I was like, I don't know if that's right. <laughs> oh, it's good. You've clarified it. Excellent. But oh, what, the other thing I will say about Albon. Our podcast. That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, the other thing I'll say quickly about Albon is, is he seems to be producing the same results that Russell was producing last year against. Yeah. Uh, against. So uh, not that I want to compare the two years because they're different cars, different uh, different regulations. But if he's got that sizable gap over over Latifi this year, I'd suggest that maybe a possibility that he's sort of on par with the George Russell type. So that could put him in good stock too. Not that I, I love comparing drivers from different years and cars and who's raced each other, but uh, that you know that could be a good thing that people are looking at too. So fabulous stuff. Thank you. Up Chef One, no T again. Uh, Dylan C five three three. With all the talks of races being removed or added, what tracks do you think are must-haves, and what new ones would you like to see? All right, you take this one, Campy. There's a, there's five that can't move, eh? 
Melbourne can't move. It's an excellent, it's an excellent spectacle. I've said it before. In Formula One terms, there is three races. The three M's is Melbourne, Monaco, and Montreal. They're the three that can't go anywhere. Uh, Monza will not go anywhere either. Um, Spa should not go anywhere. Um, I like Singapore as a night race, but I'd put Japan before that. I think they're the most. Yeah. Iconic sort of drivers, drivers. Not that Melbourne's a drivers, drivers track, but as an event, and and F1 is so much more than just racing on the track. It's an event, and there's a whole lot of yeah. culture that comes with it. Um, we in Melbourne, we're lucky. We we are the sporting capital of the world, and to host an event like that's excellent. So, but the other tracks I've mentioned, they are. You know, some of those corners, like corners like 130R at, at Japan, like these corners have a have a reverence about them when people talk about them. Doesn't matter what categories racing there, there are they're there. So that that'd be the five for me. Um, the other thing I will say, we have got new tracks coming up now. I'm not a big fan of any of the new tracks other than Kota that have probably been built in the last decade. Um, um, that is a great track, but I mean Miami for me wasn't a good one. Paul Ricard's no. a dud. Um, yep. I, I mean, as tracks, they're just boring tracks. Look at, I mean, Baku. Baku's good. I mean, Sochi. I'm talking about. You know, I really, these newly... I really enjoy Baku. Yeah. Yeah, Baku's great. Sorry, it was Sochi I was thinking of. These newly yep. designed F1 tracks. I just don't think we've got the cars. The cars are not at the pinnacle of what those race cars can, can produce. And unless we get cars that are a hell of a lot faster, you can, you know, go through the corners faster than what we are now, we're not ever going to see the limits of them. Unlike those Japans and the Monzas, we're, we're maxed out on those. So um, I'd like to see a revolving... What about your Brazils or Me- Mexico? I think both of oh. those are quite interesting for me. I'd probably tend to go Brazil. Brazil. Yeah, I think Brazil is a pretty too. interesting track for me. Yeah. Silverstone, got to keep Silverstone. Yep. So um, we're already getting to ten kind of keepers. The ones that we can probably yep. ditch. I think we've said Paul Ricard. That can. That's a dud. Yep. I, I haven't been loving Imola. I don't think that's a great track, especially with current regs. It's quite tight and it's really hard. It's, yeah, it's probably you're right. It, it's just harder for racing. Um, we didn't go to China this year. Is that somewhere you'd you'd want to go back to that quickly, Campy? Typically a pretty boring race, other than sector one looks good because of the big, the big circle that doubles back on itself. You sort of do uh, almost a three sixty and then a you know two seventy. I mean sector one's good, but it doesn't produce great racing um, yeah. over a whole track. You'd probably get rid of and that. Then, Where else have we got? Fortunately, all the all the Middle East kind of tracks are pretty yeah. pretty subpar, Shit. just kind of parking lots that have just been. Turned into racetracks. They're pretty boring. Jeddah hasn't done much yeah. for me. Uh, I don't want to go back to Yas Marina. That is a dud. Even with the We've fixes, t- it's been a dud. Some of the ones I'd like to see come back. I actually think Turkey or Istanbul is a great is a great racing track. Um, I'm not sure why they don't use that comp. You know that complex anymore. It's a bit of a shame. Um, if we're going to be doing the the 20 races what i'd really like to see is like seven of those races become biannual races you know i don't think we need to go to vegas every year i don't think we need to go to miami every year you know i don't think we need to go to russia or china every year but if you if you put them on a 
you know, a two-year rotation, and, and then you could bring something like Malaysia back, which produces great racing. And um, yeah, or yeah, back to India. Yeah, India and South Africa. That, like we used to have a track in South Africa too back in yesteryear. So, I mean, the sport, just the way it goes commercially, I can't see it happening. But you know, because these they want to lock in these events long term. But I really think they should look at. We've got some world-class tracks. I really think we should look at hosting a handful of these biannually and extending the contract for 10 years so at least they get five, you know, in some of the smaller F1 markets. What about the one that we never got, Campy? What about Vietnam? I've heard absolute diddly squat about Vietnam. It was very exciting, wasn't it, time? Oh, it looked good, but then again, it's yeah. one of these newly designed tracks, so you don't really know how it's yeah. actually going to race and perform. Um, I've heard Diddly Squad about it. I, I don't like it. Got almost finished, and then unfortunately, COVID happened, and you know, it sort of threw it off the ra- threw it off. But we saw some good sims on it. There was yeah, a couple of good it looks sim really tracks. interesting um, for for all the new tracks that we've kind of canned. That was the only one that's really caught my eye and seemed interesting because it was. A little bit of a street race, a little bit of a circuit that was... um, And also, let's get to a new part of the world. Let's not retread. I suppose we're not in America a lot, but we're kind of close enough to the continent of North and South America where you can travel to those. Down this side of the world, we do not have a lot of races we can get to. Singapore's one, and Melbourne, obviously. That's kind of it. Maybe Japan, if you're feeling adventurous. But, like, that's kind of it around this side of the world. Everything else is very European or... In the Americas, I think it'd be great to great to host a race in Southeast Asia because for people to travel there, it's quite an inexpensive place compared to some of the others that we go to to travel. You get to see a cracking Grand Prix, but Southeast Asia is a great place to travel on a relatively small budget too. And I, I yeah, I'd like to see F one sort of look at at that space as well, not just these. I mean, three thousand bucks for a ticket at Miami. I mean, F one's good, but it ain't worth it. Ain't worth three grand at Miami. You know, no. the track. Yeah, it's frustrating that this that happens, but uh, you know that's the reality. The commercialisation of this sport and uh, Stefano Domenicali, the new head of uh, uh, F1 or Liberty Media, what it is. He's he's got a view for what F1 should be and where it goes in the future, and unfortunately, it's just going to get more inaccessible for you know the average fans out there. So it's a bit yep. of a shame, but yeah. Some cracking tracks. Yeah. You, you'd hate to see some of those ones that we mentioned go as well. If we get to a point where they're starting to get rid of these iconic tracks because they can have another car park in the middle of nowhere that's going to pay more money, you'd be very disappointed as an F1 fan, I can tell you that. Yeah, I mean, let's, let's look at Spa this year. You know, they only signed the extension of the race next year, the day before the event. Now, there was obviously some rumblings in the... In, in the conversations that the media got hold of about why Spa, about Spa not renewing its contract. But for the average Joe, like for the most, when you speak to most people, what's your favourite track? Nine times out of ten, they're going to say Spa, just because yep. it's picturesque, it's beautiful, it's fast. Oh, Rouge is a view in itself. Um, as it, as it, I don't understand, I can understand from a business point of view that it may not make the most money for the sport and it may economically not be the best opportunity for the sport. But why on earth would you want to get rid of a track like that? For me, that is just 
money becoming the overriding factor and have, paying no respect to the history of the sport, what the fans want and uh, and where the sport's going. There's a real disconnect to me, it seems, at the head of it. And uh, yeah, it's a shame that a track like that... And Silverstone's had some issues in the last few years as well. And they've been financial. Um, I know the government had to kick in a bit over there to make it happen. But, hey, it's worth its weight in gold for governments to pump money to these events because what it does to the local economy. Can, and, uh, can, you imagine, I mean, uh, can you imagine, like, the Boxing Day test going to whatever, it's Marvel Stadium because they decide to pay more money for it and not be at the MCG. Yeah. That would be insane. And that's kind of what we're talking yeah. about here, right? Yeah. That's why. Just a stupidity from the top. But we need to get some... Yeah. I, think, I think the fans have got some good rep- representation. And I think most of the paddock knows as well. Most of the paddock wants to go to places like Spa. And imagine having all the F1's teams based 20 kilometres down the road from Silverstone and it not being there. You know, for whatever reason. I just, yeah, anyway, I'm glad that we've worked, the people behind the scenes have worked hard to get these races on track. But yep. Dominicali hasn't been very public about where he sees the future of the sport going. And uh, quite secretive, unlike his predecessor, uh, the big yank guy with the beard. What was his name? Um, anyway, it doesn't big matter. Yank guy. I think he that was, was his name, actually. Big yank guy. No, it's super, tra- <laughs> super transparent. Um, bought the sport through that whole COVID period, which was really tough and really hard on, uh, you know, globally for everyone. I think that was the first sport that, you know, internationally got back on its legs, multiple races across Europe. Yeah, they had to chop and change it and miss some stuff, but, yeah, he did a great job getting us through that period, but I'm just not sure the way they've handed it over has been the great. So, anyway. We've got KK. I don't know how this question's coming, but thank you for it. Best pub on the peninsula. Best pub we on the Ninch. Born and raised Peninsula boys. Let's go. We are best. We're pub talking on the about peninsula. what's on the short list. I reckon. I, I like the Royal in Mornington. On a good summer's day, yep. you can see outside heaps of seating outside, looking over the water. It's a cracking spot, and when good there's view. a couple of hundred people there, yep. it's a cracking day. It's good. Yeah. I mean, Portsea and Sereno, they're they're good too, but I don't love spending a lot of time down there. Well, they've just refreshed the the Conti now, haven't they, Campy? Was that a was that a hot spot of your youth? Yeah, that's some big nights at the Conti, Tommy T. Some very large <laughs> nights. I can imagine. <laughs> used to used to sit out on that lawn at two a.m. just going, "What am I doing?" Uh, it was cracker. <laughs> it was very good though. Yeah, I you, I was very, I was too young. Never got to the Conti. That was never my. My thing. I didn't have a lot of a peninsula pubs. I always ventured a bit more north to try and find some live music. Um, yeah, yeah. So I suppose, like, you could give uh, Pelly Bar a bit of a mention. Yourself, you've played the there. Pelly you've played Bar. the Pelly Bar a few times. It's oh, a bit of a... hundred times. Bit of a spot there, isn't it? Um, <laughs> but I think as, like, peninsula kids, you're always trying to get off the peninsula because you were living there all the time. You're always like, can we go to the city? Can we go see some real music or go to a yeah. real pub? The SB before they redid it was always fun. Yeah. The tote the was always downstairs. Good up in town the tote, yeah. We've just gone off topic here, haven't we, Zeke? We've just gone Rob, best pubs in the Rob morning peninsula all the way to all of Victoria. <laughs> Mate, you've got to let it happen. <laughs> Great question. The people, the people want to know about the pubs, and yep. frankly, so do I. So It's true. What do you what do you think, Ezekiel? Have you got a, you got a favourite pub? We'll go all of Victoria now because you were a Sookie Lounge, great, great music venue. I do love I do love Stookie. 
have been to and played at Suki and drank at Suki many, many times. Uh, and I just love being up in the yeah, mountains. So any opportunity off. to be up in the mountain is, you know, a, always a bloody delight. And beyond that, oh God! You always get a few friendly characters up there as well. Oh, f- friendly and then some, mate. You get a couple of like people. You walk out. <laughs> you walk outside of Sookie at you know twelve thirty in the morning, and you're not sure if you're going to get stabbed, offered drugs, other kinds of things that happen up there. It could or be embraced. one. It could be all three. Very interesting cats up there. Yep. We'll get back to our Team Radio episode in just a moment. But before we do, I want to tell you a little bit about NordVPN, our sponsor for this show. As you've heard for the last couple of weeks, NordVPN really is an awesome product. And we say that because we actually use it ourselves. I've been using this for over two years already. Now, NordVPN allows you to unlock region-locked content. So if you're bored with your US Netflix or your Australian Netflix and you want to watch something else, then you can absolutely do that. Grab NordVPN, download it, change the region that you want to watch the content in and will all happen for you. And the best part is it's all risk-free. So not only will you get two years at a heavily discounted rate plus four months, you can get 30 days absolutely risk-free and get your money back if you don't like it. So if you like camping and you think, oh, actually, I'm ignoring about everything, I don't really know if I can commit to swimming or whatever this is called, then in 30 days' time, you can ask for your money back, get a full refund, pretend like it's never happened. Go to nordvpn.com forward slash lakeside drive right now to get that deal. The link is in the description below. Now let's get back to the podcast. Tommy, tell you quickly, Danny Rick. Oh, yes. Danny Rick. Danny Rick to Mercedes, mate. What are you thinking year off as a – what are your thoughts oh, on that? I don't think it's the worst idea. I I think that if there's the two options and it's that and it's the Haas seat, I think that year off as a reserve driver, get, you let Mercedes see how good you are behind the scenes, how much of a, a slick operator you are, how good you are for culture, all those kind of things. Someone like Toto and – the executive team at Mercedes will see him working and will love everything he's doing and recognise his talent, I would think. You'd, you'd want that to shine through as opposed to take a year off to Haas or take a year off just in general into the wilderness and someone like Mercedes doesn't know what you're doing and they don't get to see the inner workings of what you're putting into the sport. I think it's only valuable. And I think a year off in as a reserve driver at Mercedes, actually carries more clout maybe in the industry than it would going to take a drive at Haas or other. I think other teams would actually look more favourably upon you having had a year there than getting a full-time drive maybe at a Haas kind of seat. Yeah. Yeah, look, I would suggest that if that is going to be the case and he goes to Mercedes as a reserve driver, uh, he needs to get some guaranteed seat time in practice sessions or testing sessions. Um, I think that would be the caveat that he would be putting on that because not just driving sims all year, but I said I wouldn't. When you think Lewis would want that though, decision, wouldn't he? But Lewis doesn't want to do every practice session. Well, He'd yeah. be happy to do that. I would have thought. Yeah, I think he needs to get out in the car four or five times so he can actually show what the team he, he's capable of behind closed doors. So no, he'll be right. Look, we'll hold off on that until I said I'd hold off on it because until he makes a decision. But don't go yeah. to ask. I mean, it's just nah. Get that the Alpine seats. The Alpine seat is the most logical place to go. Um, but 
Hey, we've got Piastri in the car next year, so maybe that's what we've got to look forward to at the moment, and hopefully we that's see it. Danny Rick back on track next year. Ezekiel, have you got a, another question for us? You know what? I do have another question for you, and the question comes from Black F1 and on Discord. And the question is, can we discuss F1's youth obsession? Every team is looking for the next Max or Lewis, but there is still clearly a place for older, very skillful drivers, as we saw on the weekend with DeVries. We all want to believe Daniel Ricciardo is still very good, and K-Mag proved it earlier this year too. How do the F1 teams get out of the mindset of, we either need a young gun, a Formula world, uh, sorry, a former world champ, or a billionaire's son as a driver? It's a great question, isn't it? I think the youth obsession is because... In the past, that's where we have found those transcendent stars like a Max, like a Lewis. Those kind of drives have come from these 17-year-old kids that were plucked from formulas early. So I feel like everyone's trying to do that and replicate that model. Unfortunately, it seems like they're picking people who aren't quite of that mould and those people are quite unique. Like there is, Max Verstappen is like one of those generational drivers that we probably won't see again for a while. I think the the better option is actually letting them prove themselves in those junior formulas, let them come through, transition correctly, as opposed to trying to pluck them early and go, look at us, we picked this early and we're going to foster this talent. Because more often than not, they actually ruin the talent because we've seen, say, Red Bull, their junior program is decimated at the moment because they just run through that talent and require too much of them too early, maybe put them, put them in situations that they're not quite ready for because they haven't had the racing underneath them Whereas someone like a Max or a Lewis has actually adapted quite well in those situations. Not everyone can, and not everyone should be able to do that. These guys are unbelievable. So I think you've actually potentially ruined some some talent, say like a Gasly, like a Signs, like a, a Kvyat. Those kind of drivers that were coming through um, weren't given a real opportunity because they were thrown in the big seat and told, figure it out like Max does. And that's not really a fair representation of of how it should be. What do you think, Ambie? Yeah, look, trends in motorsport and trends in sport are a thing, right? Once Red Bull pulled the trigger on Max Verstappen at 17 or whatever it was, they, you know, they decided, the whole the whole grid decided that, hey, these young kids can be competitive. Um, I think Max was the exception to the rule. Um, but that's a trend. It's a real thing. It will have an on... We've, I've spoken about this extensively. It has a flow-on effect that meant there was a whole lot of drivers in that Jolly and Palmer era that didn't get their chance because they went so young and there was some billionaire kids come in to get drives as well. I think we are start. There will be a there will be a there will be a follow-on effect, and I think we're starting to see that at the moment. I don't think the young talent is there at the moment, and the guys that have missed out in the last five or six years haven't mate. They weren't they weren't the cream of the crop. When they were racing guys like Max and Charles and you know etc cetera, etc cetera, these young guys on the grid, so we are now at the point where we're starting to see the tipping point where teams are actually going to go. We're going to look outside the box because they don't think the younger talent is there and it's not as good as what's on the grid. That's why we're talking about Colton Herders. That's why we're. K-Mag comes back. That's why Hulkenberg's been thrown in the ring again. You know, been out of a drive for a couple of years because teams are actually putting the brakes on that. So we are, there is, we are seeing a flow-on effect. And I, I, I hate to think what's going to happen to, you know, your Leclerc's, your Russell's and your Sainz's. 
they've got their chance in the big team at the moment. But if Max goes on to win four or five championships on the trot, these top teams are going to cut these guys by the time they're 27 and 28, which is traditionally when you've been in your world championship window. And they'll be out of the sport, maybe not out of drives, but they'll be definitely out of contention for the world championship just because they've been in so young. Um, yes, they bring experience and they may have another 10 years in them, but at 27, 28, being in those top teams, you only get a three or four-year chance in those top teams to win world championships. And if they don't because Max is so dominant, dominant, Teams will start to look elsewhere, and uh, they could find themselves out of the sport at, you know, 27, 28. And uh, that, that, that could be a scary thing for some of those drivers because they're all not going to have 20, 25-year careers. Most of them will get maybe 10 or 11 because they were bought in so young, but that cutoff age is going to come in, the, you know, new regs 2026. So it could be an interesting to see how that plays out. Excellent. Thank you very much. LBS on Discord. When will we see Campy make the Trans-Tasman Sea Swim from Sydney to Auckland? <laughs> <laughs> That's a fair swim, isn't it? Jeez. <laughs> oh, well, LBS, thanks for your trolling, mate. I very much appreciate it. And I think all have you been Discord rolling the arm over lately, too, Campy? So. I have, mate. I've been uh, back in the pool, so we're going all right. We're going all right. I mean, Love when that. you say I'll swim... Have young Picto down said, at the pool? Young Shorty, have you been seeing Shorty down at the pool? Yeah. Nah, he's down in he's down in Rosebud. That's where he's been yeah. swimming. Not not he's, down. The he's sting. too early for you as well, isn't he? Oh, you're down at the Sting. Look, I'm down at the Sting. So look, when I say nice. swim, it envisions something that you know, swimming like you'd see at the Olympics. I'm not quite there. I'm just all arms and legs. And, <laughs> Hey, getting the breathing right. We're going all right, LBS. So thanks for that. That's thanks good. That, mate. Really appreciate it. Love it. Uh, qu- I will meet you and punch you one day. <laughs> <laughs> Consider this your uh, your final warning, LBS. Any day now. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what he wants to. Yeah. He's looking for a rise. He is. Thank you, LBS. <laughs> Fabulous. Uh, question for both of you. Uh, greatest of all time team principal slash owner. One or the other or both. Ooh, team principal. Flavio. Do you want to elaborate on that any or that's enough? Oh, what a character. <laughs> I mean, you can't... Guys like that don't exist in, you know, big media anymore because they're too flamboyant and too, you know, behind closed doors they're Probably a bit dodgy, you know. I mean, you just can't take risks. Companies can't take risks on guys like that anymore. But uh, definitely a character. Very Weber loves him. Says so most loyal dude he's been with. But uh, oh, flamboyant. It's got a presence about him. He's on the grid recently, I believe. We had a couple of inter- he had a two minute interview on uh, the grid walk with Brundle, which was good. But he's still as fake tanned as ever, and looks you know that shocking white hair slicked back with. Yeah, you know, receding a bit like yours, Tommy. <laughs> hey, I'm making it work today. I'm trying to sweep it over, uh, bit of comb that's over. Good. We're all part of that club, mate. Don't act like we're not. I just don't wear beanies. <laughs> <laughs> um, might be a bit controversial for a lot of people, but I think Christian is actually an excellent team principal. I think if you look at what he does externally, he might be disliked, but as 
his function as running that team, as doing the things that is best for his driver and his engineers and his crew, that guy is sold out and making the best decisions he possibly can. Um, and let's be honest, part of the, the role is to take the heat and be the bad guy in exchange for looking after your crew and everyone else. He's the shield for that Red Bull team. And I think he does that job quite well, um, making sure that the heat is always on himself rather than maybe someone else who might have made a mistake or something. He'll always wear it. Um, and I think the thing he does better than many others is he makes those drivers, well, mostly Max, let's be honest, but he makes Max feel like he is the best and most supported person in F1, similar to what Toto would do with Lewis. Um, you could say that he's had some mistakes, maybe more towards the second driver in that lineup. Um, but you'd hope that that's coming good. So I, I think it's it's a really underrated part of that role is what I'm trying to get at is that you are the shield. You don't always have to be liked. You don't always have to be the most popular person around, but he actually gets that job done and is willing to be the bad guy in exchange for wins and success. Yeah. And just on that question, I might bring up Mattia Bonotto at the moment. <laughs> that guy's in a bit of trouble. If we, I, I, mean, as, I mean, the rumblings at Ferrari are starting to happen. And this is this is just normal Ferrari BS that rolls around every, you know, four or five years when it comes to team principles. I mean, uh, I can't remember the last guy's name. Always forget it. Looking at his face, but <laughs> you know, we're starting to hear the rumblings about Bonotto's not doing the job. Now we gave him all the credit because he wiped off the last couple of years, and uh, he inherited a team which was uh, not in great shape. They went down some design flaws. But this was the year that we were going to judge him, and it started off fantastic. But as the year's gone on, they haven't got it right. I don't think they'll be second in the Constructors' Championship this year. So I think it's not now, but the rumblings within Ferrari are starting to happen, and we've heard some commentary on it. And that comes from somewhere when, when, when you know we start ousting team principals at Ferrari. So I would suggest... He finishes out the year. They give him another shot next year, but he could be gone halfway through the season if he's not mm. getting the results that the team wants. And a new team principal will come in, and he will be told you need to perform, and we're going to give you the reins over next year's car and design-wise and take it to where you think you can take it. But um, unless Bernardo starts getting the results that the team wants, then... Um, he could be in a bit of strife, I'd suggest. We're starting yeah, to hear is, some rumours. So. Is there anyone in that Ferrari family or past kind of drivers, executives that you can see stepping into that role? Because I, I can't think of anyone that isn't currently doing FIA work or something. They've all gone and taken kind of more other jobs in F1, and I don't know if there's any like logical person I can think of top of my head to take that Ferrari top seat. No, I'd love Gunther to take it, but that's that'd be great, wouldn't it? The reality, the reality is, it probably won't happen. Ferrari's just—they're a political nightmare. Those things, and you've got to play your cards right. There'll be someone in that team. I'm not sure who it is, which will be starting to play the politics game behind closed doors. A few, few knives in the back here and there that will be working their angles to get that job. I'm not sure who it is, but there'll be someone within the organisation. I think Ferrari probably needs to look outside of it, you know, and mm. they need to, the best the the best guys on the grid. Ferrari have traditionally had them, but they don't have them in your Totos and your Christian Horners 
And even a guy like Otmar. Otmar is not... He's For me, he's, he's a great team principal, but he's not someone that... You know, he's not someone that instills confidence for a big team like that yeah. to take him. But I think for uh, Ferrari need to throw their hat at a horn or a wolf to get them back on track to where they are. And yep. they need to give them free reign without the bureaucracy and the BS that goes behind closed doors that we know Ferrari has. Because the, yep. w- the way this year's gone on, they've just... It's been it's get worse and worse every race, and they thought they'd be world championship contenders, but in reality they're going to be third in the constructors by the end of the year. So it's um, it seems like they need someone who's good at managing or someone who's good at business rather than just a good engineer, which is what Mattia was. He was an excellent engineer and brain in his own right, but it doesn't mean you can lead people. It doesn't mean you can extract the most out of a business or a group. I think that's the issue that they're having is he's excellent at this very niche thing but unfortunately he's not good at getting the best out of others and that's really the downfall that we're seeing yeah, it was interesting about round five ferrari you know they had a couple of wins and you know red bull had, had some issues with their engines reliability etc and uh we were saying i remember saying i was distinctly saying all, right, all credit to Matea, he's got him to this point but now we need to change the criteria in which we're judging ferrari and ever since i said that and it's not me by any means, but we've started to change oh, that know. criteria. They've just they've just fallen off the cliff, and uh, you know that, those parameters. Maybe we need to judge them on go back to what we were judging them on last year because they're just yeah. not there at the moment. Yeah, they got one lap pace, but who cares about one lap pace? Twenty five points get awarded on Sunday, and Saturdays aren't going to get the job done. Yep, love it. Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, one last question because this one's coming from a couple of people, uh, and the question is actually let's 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 call him out nobby's man on discord great name no one knows what it means but it is provocative uh and kath with three h's 2019 <laughs> on instagram and they've both asked basically the same question and that is what is our opinion on the possibility of daniel ricardo joining mercedes next year i don't we, we covered the possibility that what do we think we kind of did but what do we think the chances are of it ha- actually happening the longer it goes on, the more likely it will happen in my Yeah. I, I think in if I put myself that. into Dan's brain, he's thinking, I want to drive straight up. So if he can find a seat that is competitive, like the Alpine, I think he's going to jump at that. If that seat gets filled, I think that's what we'll likely see. We've kind of got to wait for that domino to fall. I think he's he's hoping out for a competitive drive next year, which that Alpine has showed pace. It's... Pretty much a sideways move, you'd argue, at the moment, wouldn't you, Alpine, to, from McLaren to Alpine? It's near enough, if not slightly up, based on this year's pace. But I think if that seat is filled, we'll see the domino fall and he'll try and get to that Mercedes reserve driver seat over that Haas drive, I would think. All right. And the, the thing I will say, and this is just, just a gut feel I have, and maybe it's because I'm a glass half-full kind of guy, this... The whole situation has a bit of a feel to me, a bit like the Jensen Button 2008. You know, Jensen was this touted driver, had some great results and just, you know, got in teams, financial troubles. Didn't have a drive 
for 2009 and then famously got that brawn seat at the last minute just because he and Rubens were the only two drivers on the calendar that would you know that on on the uh, on the on the sheet that was worth taking a punt on and we all know what happened in 2009 JB came out won a world championship resurrected his career again and got drives in some top teams albeit in McLaren when it was on the downward on the downward slope but you know got that extra four or five years out of his career. And I just think, because I am that kind of guy that's got Danny Rick's whole situation, has got a bit of a feeling. I think he takes this move with Mercedes, and you never know. Someone might break their leg, and he might get to race the first five races and come out and blitz them and win five on the trot. Then the team's going, actually, Danny Rick's in a world championship, you know, blah, blah, blah. Who knows? COVID, this stuff's going on at the moment. Drivers miss. Look at Albon. Things happen, and... I think, yeah, I've just got that feel about it. This isn't the end for DR, and he will be back on the grid. And if he's destined to win a world championship, he will. And when he, you know, he's got he's got the skill. No one, no one, no one's arguing about that. Except for Villeneuve, uh, yeah, he's an that's idiot. just my, oh sharks. Just oh, did you hear my rant about that? I the did. Other I day, really Tommy? enjoyed it. Here it had to be censored because <laughs> you went a little bit too far. But we love that about yeah, you, Campy. <laughs> Don't say it again, you again. <laughs> but I share the sentiment. I do. <laughs> yeah. So look, that's the way I feel about it. And chances are, the longer it goes on, it'll probably happen. But um, as I said earlier, it has to be. He has to get seat in the time in the car next year. So yeah. I think you're right. I think that's the best bet. If we're, if we're kind of playing at all scenarios, the path that has DR winning the most races and likely winning a championship is that Mercedes path. I don't think I don't trust Alpine to get their stuff together to be able to win a championship. We've seen in the past that's very very hard to do. I think Mercedes is the play, um, and maybe it is a bit of a waiting game. Maybe it is opportunistic, like you're saying. Someone misses a few races, he performs. They make some changes mid-season, whatever it is. I think that is his play: get in that top seat in that organisation that knows what they're doing, not these shambles that he's been at for the last what four going on five years now. Uh, he needs some stability and some people who appreciate his talents and things he has to yep. offer. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Very good. Gentlemen, any closing remarks based on anything we've talked about so far today? Any closing remarks? Well, closing remarks? Well, I'm sorry for ragging on your receding, Tommy. No, it's fine. As as yours, so. No, it's good. I like it. <laughs> that can be the- we didn't rag on James at all. What can we give that guy shit about just while we're at the end? Well, not being here, I feel like that's a penalty in itself. Oh, that's it. I was going to rag on you, and I did in the group chat. Camby's inability to say Porsche. <laughs> For someone who knows cars as well as you, mispronouncing that is diabolical, mate. Mate, we live in Australia. Tommy T, it's Porsche in Australia. It's not Porsche. <laughs> I think the people Porsche. who create the name who's and that, the brand... Who's that chick that's... Ma- it said. Who's that chick that... <laughs> Is married to Ellen. What's her name? Portia. Portia. Yeah. yeah. De Rossi or whatever. Correct. That's, an how Aussie. It's, that's how you that's pronounce Porsche. it. That's Porsha. And that's yeah, how you Porsche pronounce the car brand. Right. It's Porsche. You dope. <laughs> oh, whatever. Who cares? Is it Alpine or Alpine? Alpine. That's how they tell you to say it. <laughs> I think the person who comes up with it dic- dictates how you're allowed to do it. Yeah. If, if Ezekiel <laughs> decides how we pronounce his name differently, I'll listen and I'll do yeah. it. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. And just while I'm there, I, just on that, I, I don't think I have any right to tell people how to talk and pronounce things with my track <laughs> records. So there you go. 
It's very true. That is a good way to end this podcast, I think. Yeah. It's a life way to end. Yeah, very Thank good. you, gentlemen, for for being here and for fielding these questions with me. Um, if you haven't already, please subscribe, uh, follow us, leave a comment, share it around. Um, th- thanks, gents. Have a good afternoon. Thank you. I quickly just thank massive thanks to uh, the Patreon crew. You guys are legendary and really appreciate that. If you'd like to donate, don't feel it necessary. We try and do this for nothing, but you know it's uh, it's excellent. We're really, 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 really uh, thankful for all your help. So that's excellent. Definitely. Big shout out. Thanks, Patreon. Thanks, legends. Thank you, fellas. Uh, Till next Rad, time. Thank you. See you next week. Love it. Bye. Hokey pokey all day. All day. Hokey pokey (laughs) for the Kiwis out there. The best. Sports Social Podcast Network.